Well, Wednesday night, we had a great prayer service. And afterwards, we just said, if you stop by and just get a quick video of you. And so thanks for taking the time to do that, those of you who did. One of my favorite things about CLC is just who God draws here as part of our church. And uh, on my day off, Joyce and I were planting flowers in the backyard. And one of our neighbors came down who has recently started tying into CLC. And she came in the backyard. She goes, you know, I'm not a member yet, but I wanted to give an offering to the church. So I said, sure, we'll do that. And then she talked about the book that Dirk just talked about. She said, I have been, this book you gave us, I have been taking this book. And she was naming all the neighbors she's been to say, I'm telling them about your church. Like what church does this kind of thing? So good job, God. And good job, you. All right. Uh, I am so thankful, and our theme is that we're a bunch of ordinary people, right? But we've said yes to an extraordinary purpose. And that really is our theme for this series, the past several weeks. It goes in with our God-sized vision, and uh, if you have the CLC app, you can follow along with us. Uh, it's based on Acts 1-8, but uh, before we get there, I want to talk about Matthew 16 for a moment. And I don't know about you, but our world is in trouble, and when I look at it, when I watch, there are times I just can't watch the news. Anybody else with me on that? It just stresses me out too much. And the uncertainty, economic uncertainty, military uncertainty, is there peace anymore, societal, moral? It is all in upheaval. Uh, but you need to know something that as part of the church of Jesus Christ, you can be confident and secure. Jesus said to, to Peter in the book of Matthew, he said, I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock, as was name meant, I will build my church. Here's the good news. And the gates of hell will not overpower it. Amen. For 2,000 years now, Satan has not been able to overpower the church. Emperors have tried, cultures have tried, but the church of Jesus Christ will remain until someday he comes back for us. And so in that, we have confidence. Our God-sized vision is based on Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It's the last words of Jesus before he ascended into heaven after his resurrection. And he said, you'll receive power. That original word is dunamis, from which we get the word dynamite. So say power. power. Okay, now that was like firecracker power, okay? We're talking dynamite power. Say it again. Power. Yeah. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you will be my witnesses that Greek word is martyres or martyreo, which we also get the word martyr from. So your witness is to die for, if necessary, Jesus Christ. It's that powerful, that convincing. And we'll be his witnesses in Jerusalem. That's where you live. Judea, the church spread across the region. So it's church multiplication. Samaria is cross-culture. We're involved in our inner city. And uttermost parts, UMP, that's our international missions. I'm not going to re-preach the series. You can go back to the week after Easter and watch it on demand. Uh, but Dirk, my lovely assistant, is going to help me here uh, unveil the God-sized vision board. So under uttermost parts of the earth, we've got some really cool goals for the next uh, GSV round 3.0, including going from 30 to 60 church communities in Africa. Africa. We build a church, a home for the pastor, a solar well, a preschool, help them become self-sustaining. We'll have 60 of those, Lord willing, by the end of GSV 3.0. We also want to go from 800-some kids to 2,400 kids being sponsored uh, in their preschool with uniforms and a meal every day and their teacher and school supplies. Uh, we'll pack another 4 million rice meals, Lord willing, as well as being involved with Child Hope in, in Latin America and other places around the world. So that's, that's our uttermost parts. Samaria is cross-cultural. We reach into our inner city in the problem areas of our community that are blighted by crime or poverty, uh, educational difficulties. And we believe that CLC is on the edge of our city, but God still holds us responsible for our city. And so we have a heart for the problems that plague our inner parts of Dayton. We also put our money where our mouth is. We've invested hundreds of thousands of dollars over the past several years. Uh, we, but we also put our, ourselves to work. That's what you heard about uh, Love Dayton. 
And one of the biggest assumptions in a big church is this. Everybody assumes somebody will do it. And when everybody assumes somebody will do it, nobody does it. Hence, we need about 600 more volunteers to help us with Love Dayton. But we want to work side by side with people in our inner city partners. And then when you have the gospel, it's literally transformational. And so you met some of our deep dive partners last weekend. And uh, so then that leaves us with Judea. And that's the cause of church multiplication. Over the last three years, we've given $400,000 to Church Multiplication Network. And we have helped plant churches from coast to coast, as well as across the Midwest and, you know, in Ohio. And you heard from some of those people. You can see their testimonies if you go back online. So we're going to talk about Jerusalem now. I'm not going to un unveil this. In fact, when you leave, you'll receive a miniature copy of that to put, I don't know, on your refrigerator somewhere that you'll notice it and pray for it, that God continues to grow our extraordinary vision together. But if you have the app, follow along with me. I want to talk about the fact that at CLC, our desire is that we are a church that makes a difference and we preach truth that matters. And that is a fading description of many churches. Many churches are compromising their message where they really aren't making a difference if they closed or not. But in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Those difficult times are here. And so when we see the upheaval, the uncertainty, uh, all the things going on, don't panic, don't freak out. We were warned about that. And we were warned about that so that we wouldn't panic. And Jesus said, when you see all these things happen, straighten up, lift up your head because your redemption is drawing near. So difficult times will come. Verse 2, it's like he's describing society. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, no respect for authority, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, Avoid such men as these. And our culture is filled with those descriptions. A little later in the, in the same book, it's not on the screen, but in chapter 4, he says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth. Sadly, from what I'm told, I tend not to get out much on Sundays, but I'm told that other churches often don't preach what God's Word says. And they're preaching a gospel that people want to hear. And then Paul reminds us of why it's so essential to preach the gospel. And you look at the morality in our culture now, it is upside down, topsy-turvy, uh, careening toward hell. And we're needed now more than ever. He says in 1 Corinthians 6, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know unrighteous people. You know people who don't know Christ. They're heading to hell. That's meant to bother us. That is an awareness and a truth that is meant to stir us to compassionate action. He says, don't be deceived. And he lists a, list, a whole list of sinful behaviors. If that's your lifestyle, unrepentant, you're heading to hell. He says fornicators. That's the Greek word porneia. Sound familiar? Pornography. Just sexual immorality outside of marriage, nor idolaters. We like to think of idolatry as you make a golden calf and you worship that image, but an idol is anything that, that consumes your time and your money and your attention and your energy. It's your prioritizing principle in life. And there are many idolatrous priorities competing for you today. 
idolaters, uh, nor adulterers, sex outside of marriage or someone you're not married to, effeminate, think drag queens, homosexuals, thieves, uh, in whatever dimension they steal, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. He's saying this to sober us, but also to warn us and then to mobilize us toward those who are that way. And he says then in verse 11, such were some of you. How many of you are Christians? Let me see your hand. How many of you before you accepted Jesus, you were a sinner heading for hell? Okay, so all of us are in that predicament. Such were some of you, but, say but. And by the way, thanks for doing that. I, I spoke at a friend's church last weekend and I forgot I wasn't at CLC. And so I said, say whatever. And they didn't say it. And so I had to go, okay, I apologize. My church is annoyed with me, but they, they placate me. They, they, they go ahead and they just repeat stuff because they know I won't shut up. So just go ahead and repeat it. I'll be gone. I'll be back to CLC next weekend. So thank you. I just said, say but, you said but. So thank you, all right? So anyways, you were washed. The Bible says when you confess your sins, he's faithful to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You know that dirty, yucky feeling you feel when you know you've sinned? He washes us. 1 John 1, 9. But you were sanctified. Sanctified means chosen by God for his purpose. He took you off of the shelf of humanity and placed you in his cart if you was. I chose her, I chose him for my purpose. You were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. Justified means God looks at you just as if you never sinned. Justified. Don't you wish you could do that? We got an accuser of the brethren. The Bible says Satan just wants to constantly accuse you even though you've been forgiven, you've been cleansed, you've been washed, you've been sanctified. He still wants you to see that mess of a person instead of someone justified by Christ. And so now more than ever, the world needs the church. That's why Paul says in Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation. And, and as we see our world, and, and I think it's more alarming to those of us who have a bunch of birthdays. How many baby boomers are here? Okay. All those baby boomers, we've seen our culture change phenomenally in our lifetime. If you've been born like around 1990 to 2000 and beyond, it hasn't changed as much to you. But we're, we're alarmed at the, at the immorality and the lawlessness and what's going on. And, and here's the thing. We need to be saying to ourselves, man, this world as much of a mess needs the church now more than ever. Because they too are going to find out that the way they tried to fill the void in their life, the meaning and the purpose and the longing and the grace and the peace they look for, they cannot find except for a Savior. They're going to need a Savior now more than ever, Jesus Christ. And we're here for that. So when you look at ordinary people with an extraordinary purpose, the next point, it, it all comes back to a healthy Jerusalem. All of these things and the millions of dollars and all the time and effort gone into seeing transformation there depends on a healthy Jerusalem. Here we are at Christian Life Center at Little York Road. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 is a verse that if I could have one verse describe us as a church, this would be it. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. There are so many appetites out there competing for your attention. You hunger and thirst for money, as my, as my wealthy friend refers to it. Ah, the salty taste of money. You know how much money is enough? Just some more. 
And we hunger for fun. You know, how much, just more. We hunger for popularity. We hunger for, for notoriety. We hunger for more things, for stuff, for whatever. But the one hunger which deep in our souls we'll find satisfaction is when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will be satisfied. And there are so many things trying to say, no, no, chase after this, hunger for this, thirst for that. Life is kind of like Sam's Club on, is it Thursday afternoons? When's free sample day? I don't even know, all right? Fridays. When I go to Sam's Club on Fridays, if I do there for free sample day, I pretty much get lunch. Because <laughs> I make the rounds and then I leave like they won't notice it's me and I come back and I hit the ones I liked. <laughs> come on, how many of you have ever done that? Come on. All right, thank you. And it's free. I mean, it's even better. Life is like that. No, how about a little of this? How about a little of this? No, put your, put your, and, and, and to divert all of our attention, all of our passion, rather than having a hunger and thirst for righteousness. So, quick quiz. If there are five behaviors that a person should do here at CLC, this is our Jerusalem, none of this, it only depends on a strong Jerusalem. What are five behaviors CLCers should practice here? Okay, if you want to phone a friend, talk to your neighbor, go ahead. List five things that you think I'm going to suggest that five, we, ought, we ought to do these five things as part of CLC. All right, go. Think of what they are. List them off. Just count them off. You're by yourself. You're somebody. Go ahead. Okay, hopefully they come pretty quick. If you said, go to church, go some more, keep going, go to church some more. It's, I'm looking for five different things, okay? That's one of them, all right? So would you say attend? Psalm 122 says, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. So indeed, let's attend. And in attending... Um, Again, if loving God, following Him, being part of the body of Christ, it's not individuals who change the world. It's the body of Christ collectively. You go back to the book of Acts, and it was the church in the book of Acts, collective, united, and committed together that transformed history. I mean, the description, let me read for you from Acts chapter 2. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread and prayer. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple breaking bread from house to house, taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. There was an intense spiritual passion and relational passion for us in the first New Testament church in the body of Christ. And they changed their world. So there is meant to be that passion among us. And when it comes to, wow, okay, my part as, as part of the body of Christ and serving God, hunger, thirst, thirst righteousness, all that, this place is important. So I would suggest that you attend most of the time. So if there's four weeks in a, in a month, what would that be? It wouldn't be one, it wouldn't be two, that's not most, but at least three out of four, four, four out of five, whatever. And when you can't attend, here's the great thing, you can watch us online. And those online, we're glad to have you with us. So you can always do that. And, and, you know, boy, I was talking to somebody. I remember AAU is a challenge, all right? Kids sports, number one, number one of the number one competitors between your kid making church a priority or just whatever else and being distracted. 
Lucky for you, you got Christian Life Center. We have church on Saturday at 5 o'clock. Bring them. Most sports are done by then. I don't care how smelly they are. Bring them in their sweats and bring them. We're, we're happy to have them. But make it a priority to, I mean, they were there house to house, day by day, in the temple, with each other. So attend. Next one, say connect. Listen to the relational dynamic in the body of Christ. In the book of Philemon, Paul says, I thank my God always making mention of you in my prayers. First of all, how many other Christians, not family, are you praying for about the needs in their life? Because they hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in, in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Man, would you get a letter like that from Paul? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a nice, big, deep, refreshing breath. Ready? <sighs> okay? Like you're about to fall into a pool or drink a glass of iced tea. One more time. <sighs> Give a nice big, ah. <laughs> That's how people are supposed to react after they interact with you in church. Ah, it's just so good to be around them. Ah, I love the way she makes me feel. I love the way he just inspires me. We're, we're supposed to be refreshing to other believers who are coming from a rough world. And the love and the joy. So we're to connect. You can do it in a small group. You can do it just in a friendship group. You can do it out there. And thank you to so many of you after the, the mental health series. I asked you to spend at least 20 minutes more before or after church. You've been doing that. Out in the lobby, more coffee, sitting in the chairs, meet you before church, hanging out afterwards, whatever. Thank you. But connect. Third one, say serve. How many of you are Christians? Let me see your hand again. All right. Good news. You're gifted. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, that to each one, each Christian is given a manifestation, a gift of the Spirit for the common good. You don't have all the gifts. There's a couple dozen of them, but you have a couple few of them. The reason you don't have all of them is so you're not self-sufficient. I need you. You need me. And so one of the worst tragedies of life, I believe, is for a Christian to not use any of their gifts to bless others. And, and on top of that, serving, when people serve they feel connected. It goes from them to us. All right, next one, give. Say give. give. Luke 6, 38, Jesus gives us good news. Give it will be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over, for by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. And it's more blessed to give than to receive. And then finally, say invite. In uh, the Gospel of Luke, Jesus told a story, and the parallel is obviously inviting people into the kingdom of God and into the, the family of the church. And he said, A master said to the slave, Go out into the highways and the byways and compel them to come in so my house may be filled. His house. So do a little rubbernecking. Go left, go right, look around you, go on. You see any empty seats? How many of you know people in your life, in your Jerusalem, who, as far as you can tell, are not Christians? Let me see all of our hands. Guess where they should be sitting? In these empty seats. And guess what? I don't know your friends. I don't know who you work with. I don't even know your neighbor. Do you know your neighbor? All right, so, so it's not my job to fill those seats. It's your job to fill those seats. 
Turn to somebody and say, it's up to us. So we attend, connect, serve, give, and invite. And before I forget, on the, on the, on the attending CLC and watching online, um, how many of you did not know, like I did until recently, how many of you do not know that we have a podcast of our services? Don't know it. Yeah, a bunch of you. And, and Curtis showed me between services, you can go to our podcast. I got to get the right. It's either index or chapters. I don't know. But anyways, um, you can watch those chapters. There are all kind of links. Yeah, go ahead and take a screenshot of that. There are links from the podcast. You want to jump over to YouTube. Go to YouTube, clcdayton.com, or go to the podcast, like go to um, Spotify or whatever, and, and put in clcdayton.com. It's phenomenal what they've done with our podcast and our YouTube. I didn't even know it. So good job, Curtis and tech team. Uh, and yeah, give them a hand. So check it out. All right, so knock, knock. So I wanted you to ask, who? Okay. Who are we inviting? Three groups of people. Uh, among those groups of people, first of all, are unchurched people. That's the folks, and that crowd is growing exponentially in our culture that have never been to church. Or maybe they go because they went to a wedding or a funeral. That's it. And then there's de-church people. I used to go, but, and then they either grew up and stopped growing or they got distracted or somebody upset them or whatever, or God let them down. So there's de-church people. And I used to stop there. Let's invite unchurched people and de-church people. Until about 15 years ago, we had a Christmas weekend. I was in the Connection Center and I met a couple. Uh, he was a retired lawyer. And so I'd start coming to CLC. And when I asked that question, it's like I asked about a deceased loved one. The whole mood changed. He said, well, we used to go to such and such church. And pastor, we just couldn't stay any longer. They, they weren't preaching the gospel. There was no passion, no vision. We felt like we were dying on the vine. We had to go somewhere else. So we'll reach unchurched people, de-churched people, and underchurched people. And so how do we do that? Well, we're going to take the next 10 minutes. I'm going to have you write a three-point sermon that you preach now. <laughs> Hit them over the head. No. Jesus, it's, he sets the bar really low for starters. Ready for the bar? Matthew 5, verse 13, Sermon on the Mount. You are the salt of the earth. Point yourself and say, that's me. If the salts become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand gives light to the whole, all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You're the salt of the earth. It's funny, last night I was, I was doing that verse and we got stuck like halfway through and then it didn't come up, didn't come up. And we did debrief and then the, our slide person said, I got so engrossed in what you were saying, I forgot I was supposed to change the slides. So. <laughs> you're the salt of the earth. Your neighborhood is supposed to taste different because you're there. Your office, your medical unit, your shop, what do you do for a living? It's supposed to have a different flavor because of you. Your university, your classroom, the darkness is there. You're meant to be a light in the middle of that. And you know what happens when you have light in the dark? It draws attention. We're supposed to be that. We're supposed to do that. And so then he says, here's what he says. Um, we're supposed to glorify God by what? Let them see your good works. Say good deeds. And they'll glorify your Father who's in heaven. 
That's simple. Not let them hear your great sermons. No, just let them see your acts of kindness. And they'll go, boy, people don't do acts of kindness. What's, what's about that? And so um, we're going to give you some homework this week. And so it's two things. So I want you to know, first of all, where you do your homework. So Jerusalem is where you live. It's where you work. It's where you shop. It's where you, you or your kids do sports. It's where you go to school. It's where you live your life, right? So first of all, I want you to list four places that are your Jerusalem. And the first one is CLC, because this is our, where we worship, our Jerusalem. And then I want you to list three other places that you will do life this week. Okay, out loud. Ready? One, two, three, go. Got it? So, assignment number one. Now, I have to be real clear on this. Last night I said, don't raise your hand. And then there's kind of like, they're probably not watching, kind of like teacher's pet types, okay? They want to show off and raise your hand. So, so I'm going to ask a question. I don't want you to raise your hand. Tell your neighbors, don't raise your hand. Okay, all right? But if I were to ask the question, raise your hand, here's the question I would ask. Don't raise your hand. How many of you know your neighbors on both sides and across? Okay, don't raise your hand, okay? Or if you're in an apartment, I guess here, here, there, and there, all right? Most people probably could not raise their hand that I know their, I'm not talking, hey, how you doing? That's not knowing them, no. You know their name and something about them. Most people don't know just that. So how do you love your neighbor you don't even know who they are? So uh, homework assignment number one, are you ready? You know where I'm going, right? Oh, brace yourself. Go meet your neighbor. Oh, I can't believe it. Meet your neighbor. Suffer for Jesus. That just... Here's the second homework assignment, okay? Do an act of kindness for a neighbor, I'll give you slack, or someone else in your Jerusalem, not a relative, not a CLCer. Do an act of kindness for someone in your Jerusalem and meet your neighbors. Got it? <laughs> Got it? Repeat after me. Meet your neighbor. Act of kindness. Got it? All right. And then the last statement in, in the outline, if this were true, it would revolutionize our church. I would love going forward in God's Vision 3.0 to be able to stop anyone who's started coming since God's Vision 3.0, I would love to hear this statement come out of their mouth because it will mean that we made a shift. Not phenomenal, but we made a shift intentionally and the outcome is huge. Here's the statement. Would you read this next point with me on the screen out loud? Ready? Someone invited me. It was easy to find a place to connect and to serve and people care that I do. How many of you serve at least somewhere in CLC at least once a quarter and or uh, you're involved in some kind of a friend group or a small group or a class or whatever? Those two areas describe you, right? If all of us who just raised our hand would change the criteria that we use for coming to church. Because most of us came in and uh, we passed the volunteer parking team. Boy, give them extra love on a day like today. All right. 
And I'm glad you're applying, but they're probably not in here, so tell them when you get out there. They came about 7.20 this morning, and they set up all the cones, and they put on their rain gear and ready to direct. And the people that made the coffee and volunteered to serve that were busy, and the kids' team and the worship weekend team, whatnot. But most of us come to church, and we decide by saying, did I get anything out of it? How do I like the service? That's really not the criteria. Maybe ever. It's not about I and me. It's about us. We're, the church is meant to be us and we. And so when I do come, first of all, somebody invited me. Um, in fact, if you're new to CLC today and didn't hear about it, there is a newcomer's lunch in the West Auditorium. Joyce and I and members of our staff will be there. Uh, enjoy some pizza with us. And uh, our team will talk about what we do and how you can make this your church home. Uh, but if you're new to CLC, I like to ask you, how'd you hear about us? Usually either driving by, which is a great curiosity, or somebody told me about it. But then when you come here, what I, what I would love to see the mindset shift be when I sit down, ask myself, okay, who's new around me? Because most of you sit where you sit. Third row, always, right there, on the end. Okay? You got that box seats right there. Don't sit in the fifth row. All right? Josh will chase you out. You're all, you're, we're like that. I'm a creature of habit. If, if I'm not down here with Joyce, I'm in the back stadium seats, right, right back there. We just do that. So that's fine. So guess what? You tend to know when there's new people in your turf, if you pay attention. Especially if they're in your seat. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> So start paying attention and ask yourself, I wonder who's, if you just said, I wonder who's new. I wonder if they feel connected and they're serving. If we cared about that, rather than, well, that's their job. They're supposed to make announcements from the, from the platform. How many of you know, you can hear an announcement from the platform and totally ignore it. But if somebody next to you, a few rows across, or whatever, say, hey, and don't, here, first of all, don't ask them, are you new? Tell your neighbor, don't say, are you new? Okay? I got great stories about that, horrible stories. In fact, last night, one of the section leaders does a great job up in that section. That section on Saturday night is growing like more than any other section because how good they do. And she said, Pastor Stan, I feel so convicted because I asked the guy tonight, are you new? And he said, didn't you hear him? That's the fourth time you've asked me that. No, I'm not new. All right? <laughs> So when you ask somebody that, they feel like they don't matter. You could say, I don't think I've met you before. How long have you been coming? But look around and care about the fact there might be somebody here that doesn't know Jesus or is really trying to cope with life and they came here and they look like a churchgoer, but they need somebody to care. Sorry. And then you care that they get connected. Did you hear about that lunch? I'll walk you to the West Auditorium. In fact, if you like, we'll change our plans. We'll have pizza with you and sit there. And by the way, I help with the cafe. If you want to find a place to plug in, be happy to. If we just do that, it'll make a huge difference among us. And so that's what I hope becomes descriptive of us. And if you go to the, the New Testament, man, you look at the, the environment that the church is supposed to be, we need it now more than ever. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, Paul says, therefore, encourage one another. Say encourage. encourage. Build up one another. Say build up. <laughs> Just as you also are doing. I mean, we need to be doing that. Another verse, Hebrews 3.13, not, in, not in the, on the outline. 
encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, that you don't get hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It is a tough, hard world out there. We can get cynical and, and pessimistic or hopeless. And then Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to motivate one another to love and good deeds. Want to put the message into practice on your way out? Yes, somebody. So, so are there any neighbors you're going to meet this week? Have you thought of a good deed you can do yet? We motivate each other. We encourage each other to, to love and good deeds. And then he says, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is supposed to be an encouraging, inspiring, motivating, challenging place. And who doesn't like encouragement? Real question, who doesn't like encouragement? Who does like encouragement? Practice it. You can do it with total strangers and encourage people. I love being in a restaurant and you ask the waiter or waitress, you know, would you mind bringing the, the, the manager over? Oh, they get there. Oh, no, what I do, right? And then the manager has this, oh, great, another one. I love saying, by the way, I just want you to tell you, they do a great job. Oh, thank you. Yesterday, I was working out at Planet Fitness. I was kind of hurry. And so I got this, this row of machines that I like to do. And in between, I do the little stepper thing, right? Okay. And so I'm doing the first machine and two of the most muscular men I've ever seen in my life came in. <laughs> They could kill me like that, okay? <laughs> and they stood over in the corner, and there's an empty, empty uh, machine here. Or no, there's a, ga a gal in the machine. And then she moved. And so while I, while I, and I got off, I'm doing my little separate thing. And they're just standing there looking and talking, okay? And then instead of doing that one, I jumped ahead of her a couple so I could keep going. And then when they saw I wasn't using that one, then they went there. I thought, boy, that's unusual because normally people do is when I'm about to go to the next one, somebody walks right in, doesn't pay attention to what I've been doing, and they jump in line, Right? Anybody else get peeved at that? All right, so I'm not perfect. I, so. But I noticed that, you know? So literally, at the end of it, I'm thinking, that was, so I, they're, they're walking, I, I caught them, I stopped. Hey guys, by the way, just want you to know, gym etiquette, you set the bar. Because I watched you, watched to see if I was going to that machine or not, because you weren't going to jump in, in, my, in, in my way, and you let me go ahead and pass by. Thanks, that was really kind. Oh, man, that's cool, dude. No, you know, so, uh, <laughs> you know. So for them, I'm there, yeah, there's this old guy that thanked us for not using his weight machine, whatever, so. People love to be encouraged. Try it in a stranger, you'll be shocked. Try it in here, it'll be even better. That's the kind of place we are supposed to be. But far too often, we're too busy, too preoccupied, too wrapped up in our own stuff, and all I really want to do is cheat myself and you. I just want to know, what do I get out of it? How do I like it? Instead of realizing I'm coming here to us an encouraging, loving, refreshing, inspiring, caring, compassionate place. And so we want to close this series and this message with communion, which is a celebration of the body of Christ. I want to read for you. If you didn't receive your elements, raise your hand and your section leader will bring it to you. Anybody need elements? Section leaders, look around. There's some in the middle. Uh, I'll let you find who else. Listen to what Paul says about the body of Christ. For I received from the Lord... That which I also delivered to you, that in the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Consume this piece of bread in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. The cup of Christ. And there are three dimensions to the body of Christ to be aware of. The historical dimension, where Christ literally allowed his body and blood to be torn apart and bled to death on a cross to pay for your sins and mine. May we never forget that. There's the future dimension of the body of Christ because at the Last Supper, when he instituted this, he said, I will not drink this fruit of the vine again with you until I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So someday in heaven, we look forward to the day, the marriage supper of the Lamb, when we will raise our glasses in a toast to Jesus who made it all possible. And then there's the present dimension of the body of Christ. And the present dimension of the body of Christ is us. We. Do we discern the body rightly? Because Paul goes on to say, let a person examine themselves and let them eat of the bread and drink of the cup. But he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not discern the body correctly. Too often, we take a, a Western American busy consumer view of church and we run in and we try to get something out of it and we run out. And we fail to realize the, the soul's and the people that are all around us that are there to care for us and we care for them and inspire and refresh us and we inspire and refresh them and we, and we bear their burdens. And so uh, I'll take a risk, but having done it twice, the risk worked. Last week I asked the owner of, uh, of a fast food restaurant that goes to the church here, it's up in Troy, and I said, would you come and do a training session with our staff on customer service because you guys do it second to none? And he did. And he shared a video that literally moved me to the point of almost breaking down in tears. Choked me up. And as I watched it, <laughs> I thought, this isn't about a fast food restaurant. I mean, it can be. But this really applies to the church. It applies to, to the seats in this place, not seats at a counter. And so I want you to watch this with an with a interpretive look to this really applies to Christian Life Center. These people are and could be here. And it's titled very simply, Every Person Has a Story. I saw that and I thought we could easily write that script. There are hopes and dreams in this place heartaches and disappointments. There's pain and suffering. There's happiness and joy. We tend to come to church looking like we're coming to church, but past that, all that's there. And forget a restaurant as, as the body of Christ. We're meant to know about that and notice that and care about that and show that. Each other that we would discern the body rightly. That we would come here as us. Inspire, challenge, comfort, all that. So would you bow your heads with me and your hearts with me in prayer? Jesus, how thankful we are that you left behind us, your church, as the body of Christ. So we hold that piece of bread it speaks to us of your brokenness. It reminds us of our own. When all of us go through life with our challenges, our hurts, our struggles, 
We thank you for CLC and pray that in increasing measure, we would be a place where we connect with each other. We know each other and we bear each other's burdens as the Bible tells us to fulfill the law of Christ. Thank you for all those who have blessed us and ministered to us. Lord, use us to do the same in our church, but also in our larger Jerusalem. In your name we pray. Let's take the bread together. And Lord, you, as you took the cup in the same way, saying this cup is the new covenant in your blood, it speaks to us of healing and forgiveness. Lord, we ask you to be our, our healer and our great physician. Lord, we were so mindful last Wednesday night of so many needs of people who came forward. And we ask you to heal. We ask you to strengthen those who are struggling in their bodies. We ask for comfort. We ask for healing emotionally, God, for those who, whose wounds are within. We ask for healing in relationships that are, the wounds are between. And we pray, God, that you'd use us in that regard for each other. And also, Lord, the blood of Christ speaks to us of forgiveness. And so, Lord, forgive us our sins. Holy Spirit, continue to convict us of, of those things that we do that grieve you or harm others. And help us to likewise freely give that forgiveness as we have been forgiven. And thank you that you cleanse us and you sanctify us and you justify us when we ask. And in awe and in memory and in gratitude, we take this reminder of your blood shed for us. Let's take the cup together. As we close, I'm going to ask you to stand together with us. And I'd like you to do one final exercise, just right where you're standing. And it can be short or long distance. Just turn and look at three people and mouth the words. I have a story, you have a story, we both matter. I have a story, you have a story, we both matter.